Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. We could get into a really long discussion about RE Simply, FreedomSoft, Podio, Zoho, all these other CRMs that I've that I've used. But really, listen, here's what I have found. And I've I've changed CRMs and I've gone from one to another to another to another. And at the end of the day, none of them are perfect. They all have their pros and their cons. None of them are perfect. And it's sort of a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's actually true. The best CRM is the one that you will diligently use every single day in your business. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys, thank you for joining me on the show today. We have another great Q&A for you. It's a replay that we do on our Facebook group, the Just Start Real Estate uh, Facebook page, I should say, not group, Facebook page. I stream that live every Wednesday. It's a Q&A that I get involved in with you guys, my listeners, uh, people who follow the program. And uh, people who follow me online can ask questions, anything they want about real estate. I guess really anything if you want. Uh, people tend to ask about real estate because I guess that's why they would tune in to talk to me. Uh, but uh, we talk about real estate. You guys ask questions. It's tons of fun. And I found it so valuable that I thought it was important that we share it here on the show so you guys can benefit from that as well. And so we have that for you. Uh, in this Q&A, we talked about a bunch of stuff, but among them, uh, picking the right CRM. Uh, there was a couple CRMs that some folks were kind of trying to decide between. I gave you my thoughts on that. Uh, locating sellers when you find a deal, driving for dollars kind of a deal. How do you locate a seller? Uh, also, someone asked how to structure private money deals. What does that look like with your private money lender? What kind of paperwork? How do you structure it? What kind of terms? What kind of interest? Um, you know, Do you profit share? Uh, do you split the deal? Like all that kind of stuff. Uh, we talked about outsourcing some work. Uh, we talked about finding a good CPA and when it makes sense to do that. So this one was action-packed. It had a lot of a lot of questions and, and it was a lot, a lot of fun. So I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, and if you have any questions, if there's something you would like me to answer on this uh, Wednesday Q&A, and by the way, we do them on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Uh, you can just go to Facebook and uh, search for Just Start Real Estate and hop on that page and ask questions. Or you can send me questions if you want. If you're not able to make that, you can send to Mike at JustStartRealEstate.com, and I will get them answered. All right, guys, let's dive into today's Q&A. All right, we are live. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Uh, we do this, as you know, every uh, Wednesday uh, from 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific. And I am just going to get myself locked and loaded here. So I'm ready to answer your questions. Okay. Uh, also, I just want to apologize. Last week, I was not uh, able to uh, to do this. I wasn't able to do this live. Um, I was actually at a, uh, a Tony Robbins event, uh, a UPW event in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida. It was a blast. I had a good time. Uh, it was very. Uh, it was sort of a bucket list thing for me. I never been to a, a Tony Robbins thing before. 
Uh, if you don't know who Tony Robbins is, you can Google him. He's been around uh, for about 44 years. Uh, he's basically a peak performance uh, speaker, a peak performance uh, motivator. Uh, he's worked with uh, virtually every president since you know the late 80s. Um, tons of top athletes, uh, Tom Brady among them, Serena Williams, just a ton of athletes um, uh, to try to to try to find that extra little bit of whatever it takes to be great. Uh, and he's been doing this for a long time. He, he came onto my radar uh, back in the early 90s and I started kind of following him. And at the time, you know, I was uh, cassettes were a thing. So I told you how old I am. But he, he had these tapes that he would put out. Uh, later CDs. Uh, and I, I bought them and they were super helpful and I found them very motivating. And it's not just about motivation, but like I said, he, he really, his whole thing over the last 44 years has been helping people really uh, kind of achieve what they're capable of and, and helping people get out of their own head, get out of their own way and what it takes to, to really achieve at a super duper high level. And it was, a, it was the event was amazing. It was great. Um, it, you cannot prepare yourself for it. It is actually, it's an experience that I never, I, I sort of knew in, in general what to expect, but it was um, like, I've been telling people since I've been back, it was like having a business, like personal development, business development workshop inside of like an ACDC concert or a hard rock concert. It was nuts. It was loud. There were laser lights. There were smoke. There were people dancing and, and going crazy. And, and in the midst of all of that, like he's kind of helping to guide and direct you and, and, uh, and give you some, some stuff that will help you become a better person, a better business person. And and kind of teach you what it takes to succeed at a at a super elite level. And so it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. It was great, but it was very tiring. It's four days. It's about sixteen to eighteen hours every day with no breaks, no lunch, no dinner breaks, no bathroom breaks, no nothing. So you have to just leave and and go grab something in in the in the, out in the hallway where there are some vendors set up. If you want to eat, just go out and grab something quick. Get back in. If you had to go to the bathroom, you just go and come back. Like it was, it was nonstop for four days, uh, 16 to 18 hours. The first day was from 7.30 in the morning until 1.30 at night. So it was just crazy. And the first night, um, at the end of the first day, everyone does a firewalk where you're walking on hot coals, um, which was an experience. I've never done that before, but uh, it, was, it was really cool. And uh, it was a fun experience. So anyways, that's why I wasn't here last week. So I apologize for that. Uh, I try to make sure that I'm here every single Wednesday, uh, but you know, sometimes things come up and life happens and it's not necessarily possible. And I like to do these live. I don't want to record them necessarily and, and put them out there. I want them to be live. So you guys can ask questions and, and, uh, and get those answered like in real time. So I am back this week. I'm going to be back for the foreseeable future. There's nothing coming up that I'm aware of on a, on a Wednesday night that I can't be here. So thanks for being here again. And uh, you guys have sent some great questions in. We, we probably have more than we can answer tonight. We'll see um, because we had last week's questions too. So let me dive into those and see how far we get here. And uh, hopefully my voice holds out. I don't know if y'all can tell, but uh, it's a little squeaky. It's a little cracky just from the whole last four days of, of craziness at the Tony Robbins event. Um, but I think I can get through it. <clears throat> okay. First question. I am trying to decide between RE Simply and FreedomSoft for our CRM for wholesaling. Uh, can you talk about your experience 
with different products and their pros and cons. So we could get into a really long discussion about are we simply Freedom Soft, Podio, um, Zoho, all these other CRMs that I've that I've used. Um, but really, listen, here's what I have found. And, and I've I've changed CRMs and I've gone from one to another to another to another. And at the end of the day, none of them are perfect. They all have their pros and their cons. None of them are perfect. And it's sort of a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. It's actually true. The best CRM is the one that you will diligently use every single day in your business. If it doesn't feel comfortable to you, if the interface isn't intuitive for you and you don't use it, it doesn't matter if it's the best. It's not the best for you and you won't use it. I know people personally who have used the free version of Podio. And, and when I say Podio, it's um, uh, P-O-D-I-O, Podio. Uh, the free version of that and gotten their business to a million dollars and more using just the free version of Podio, right? Nothing special, nothing fancy, no real fancy automations or anything, just basic CRM. So I think sometimes people stress out over some of the tools that they're going to use in their business and they make the tools more important than the business itself. I'm not saying you're doing that, but I say RE Simply and FreedomSoft are both absolutely fine CRM. You can be, they, neither one will hold you back from being successful, as successful as you want to be, neither one of them. So it, me telling you which one I like is not necessarily doing you a service because it doesn't mean it's the one you're going to like. Um, we're currently using RE Simply. And to be perfectly frank, uh, my partner set it up and I don't get in there a ton to use it at this point. So I don't have a lot of opinions about it. My partner loves it. He thinks it's great. We've had FreedomSoft. We loved that for a while until we didn't. We've had just regular Podio. We loved that for probably the most time that, I was, that I've been in business. Podio has been the CRM. But we moved away from it uh, a little while back. And we've tried a few other ones to try to get some features that we didn't have in Podio or FreedomSoft. Uh, but when you do that, you you sacrifice sometimes things that those CRMs were great at. Um, and I can tell you what I like, what my partner likes, and what some of our team like are all different. Some people on my team miss Podio still. They wish that we were still on Podio. So for them, they would tell you emphatically, Podio is the best one. But if you ask other people, they might say, you know, Ari Simply is the best one. So there is no best CRM. Uh, I think the one that you're going to use like diligently and stay on it and use it and religiously keep the information and follow like that's the one to use. So I say at the end of the day, pick the one that feels like the interface is most comfortable for you because that's the one that most likely you'll use the most. If you're running a, a smaller business or you're just starting out, um, don't get too worried about automations and getting really super fancy with your software because until you have a lot of leads coming in, having a lot of crazy and fancy automations is, is like, you know, having a, a brand new Ferrari that you never go more than 10 miles an hour. It's just too much. It's not even necessary. Right. So pick one that you're going to use, use it every single day. You can always change. You can always shift to something else. Once, you know, you start, your business starts growing and you recognize perhaps that there's some limitations to the software that you're using, or you just don't like the features anymore, or the interface is clunky or whatever, like you can switch. This isn't a life decision. So um, 
pick one and move forward. It's far and away, not the most important thing in the business. The most important thing in anybody's business, and you're talking about wholesaling, you need leads. You need to drive leads, drive leads, drive leads. And if you have leads, get more leads, get cheaper leads. Like wholesaling lives and dies on lead flow and building a good, strong buyer's list full of people that actually are buying houses from you. If you can drive tons of leads and build your build a strong buyer's list, then success will follow in wholesaling. So, I mean, obviously there's more to it, but those are the two things that I think people understand is important, but they don't understand how important. And so they start, and again, I'm, I'm sort of picking on you, but they start worrying about CRM and stuff like that. And, and it's important. Follow-up is important. Customer relationship management software is important, but I would rather see you keep track of your leads on a, on a Google sheet in the beginning and just worry every single day, wake up and spend your entire day figuring out how to drive more leads into your company. And once you have enough leads and your, your business is cranking and everything's great, then pick a CRM and utilize it and love it. But um, just pick one and go is what I say, but use it. And if you pick one and you don't use it, then then don't use that one. Pick a different one because you have to use it. That's the end, that's the end result. Okay. Next question. My, okay. This is a long one. <clears throat> My friend and I uh, believe we have found an excellent property to wholesale. It's a very large abandoned property located across from a river on a main road. It has been in the same condition for 10 plus years. Neither of us has any wholesaling experience, nor have ever been in a real estate transaction. We are looking for guidance regarding the approach we should take when contacting the owner, such as what questions to ask them, what information to disclose about ourselves, et cetera. Also, do we need a real estate attorney in case the owners are interested in selling? Oh, wow. You guys are definitely new. And that's awesome. Congrats. Um, I'll answer the last one first because it's easy. Uh, you do not need a real estate attorney. I've, I've done, at this point, since I began real estate, probably over 700 deals. And I've never, I've never used a real estate attorney. So you don't need one. I, I don't, I don't really care where you are. You don't need one. Um, uh, I'm just trying to pick through these questions because there's a few in here. Uh, looking for guidance regarding approach we should take. So contact the owner and, and really you want to find out a couple of things. It's really actually pretty simple. You want to find out first and foremost, you really want to find out if they want to sell. And if they do want to sell, you want to find out why they want to sell. Apparently, they've owned this thing for 10 plus years. It's been abandoned. Clearly, nobody cares about this property. So I would just say, hey, we're, we are local investors. Uh, we see this house. It's been abandoned for as long as we can remember, over a decade. We're interested in potentially buying it but we'd like more information. Can you tell us something about the house? Let them start talking. There's a good chance you'll find out what their motivation for selling is when you ask them about the house. But if they just give you house facts and figures, it's this many square feet, it's this many bedrooms and bathrooms, it's on a basement, it's this many you know acres, and they stop, just say, okay, well, it's been vacant for 10 years. Can you tell me why you haven't sold before this? See if there's something keeping them from selling or what their situation is. And you, you just keep asking questions that kind of are leading them toward giving you the information on why they do or don't want to sell. Now, if you reach out to them out of the blue, you can't really say, tell me why you want to sell because 
they don't necessarily want to sell. They didn't ask you to buy. You're asking them if you can buy. So the wording is a little different than if someone calls you because you know, you've marketed and you've done marketing to sellers and they called you and said, Hey, I got your postcard. And then you can say, why are you thinking of selling? Right. It makes sense. But when you cold call somebody like this, it's a little bit more of a, a different conversation where, like I said, you say, Hey, this thing's been vacant for 10 years. I'm interested. Can you tell me about it? Can you tell me why you've never sold us before? Uh, are you interested in selling? If you're interested in selling, can you tell me what you think it's worth? Like, so you want to get really three things out of them mainly three things. Number one, motivation. That's key. Number two, you want to find out what they want for the property or what they think it's worth. And number three, you want to get an appointment to go see the house and, and them if possible and get in front of them because it's a lot easier to build rapport and, and strike a deal in person um, than it is over the phone. It, it can happen over the phone. We do it over the phone in my business, but um, not every single time, but we do sometimes. You can do it over the phone, but I would want to get in front of them. So what's their motivation? How much do they want for the property? And when can you go out and see them and the property? Like Those are the three super important questions. Asking them about bedrooms and bathrooms and you know all that stuff, age of the roof, um, it, all that stuff is available in, in public records, except maybe the age of the roof. But that's something you can ask when you get out there. You can take a look at it. And if it looks fantastic, you can say, oh, it looks pretty new. When was it put on? Chances are, if it's been abandoned for 10 years, it looks terrible and there's probably holes in it. You can say, oh, it looks like it needs a new roof, right? Like a lot of times when you're talking on the phone, people will be hesitant to just give you all the information, right? Everybody learns that, you know, you got to keep your cards close to the vest and don't give any information away. So sometimes people are a little bit cagey and they're a little tough to get information out of. So that's why I ask questions like, can you tell me a little bit about the house? You know, did you ever live there? Um, you know, how many bedrooms and bathrooms? Like you ask these questions usually to, to kind of soften them up a little bit, get them comfortable with you, let them know you're not just some crazy salesperson that's just going to throw a crazy offer at them. Like start asking questions to get them talking. But ultimately, like I said, what's their motivation? If they do want to sell, why do they want to sell now? Uh, what do they want for the property? Because if they tell you that they want some absolutely insane number for the property, and it's like way higher than anything you'd ever then you don't have to bother going out and seeing them necessarily. And then uh, find out if you can get out there and, and see the property and talk to them in person, because that's a much better scenario. And then once you get out there, you can dig more into that motivation. You can find about more of what they're trying to do. Um, you don't need an attorney though. As far as what information to disclose about, disclose about yourself, you know, when it comes to wholesaling or anything, when it comes to anything, right? A confused mind says no. So number one, I don't typically recommend that you sit down with them and within the first five minutes, you say, I'm a wholesaler. I want to get this thing under contract. And then I'm going to take that contract and find someone who will buy it because I'm not going to close on it. I don't have the money, but I want to lock it in at a price and I'm going to sell it for a higher price in, in the next week or two. Like you're just, you're never going to buy a house that way. Right. But as far as like being honest and saying, Hey, I'm an investor. I'm not, I'm not trying to buy this to live in it. It's an investment property for me. So uh, I'm going to buy it. And eventually I'm going to sell it, but you know, I'm, I'm an investor. So having that kind of transparency, I think is, is good. You know, don't, don't misrepresent yourself as someone who's going to buy it and live in it. Um, you know, you're an investor. That's why you've got to get it for maybe less than it's worth. If it's been abandoned for 10 years, 
it, it probably is in such bad shape. Like there's no way a house that's been abandoned for 10 plus years is in any kind of good shape. It probably needs literally everything. So, um, you know, but you want to go see the inside and, and that way too, if that person hasn't been in it in a while, then they get a little bit of a reality check too. And they walk through this thing and say, Oh, wow. You know, they're going to walk around and see what kind of condition it's in. And so you can, it's a much easier conversation to say, you know, Hey, Zillow says this thing's worth $300,000, but you and I just walked through it. Like it needs everything. There's holes in the floor, holes in the ceiling, there's mold, like whatever. Like I can't offer you more than a hundred or I can't offer you more than 75 or 150, whatever it is. Right. It becomes an easier conversation than over the phone saying, well, Zillow says it's worth 300. And because I'm an investor, I can't pay more than half of that. So I'm going to pay 150. Like you want them to walk in and experience the smells and everything that's going on in the house. Um, so don't, I wouldn't go as far as to say you're a wholesaler. I would just say you're an investor. It's totally true. You're not going to live in the house. Totally true. And then don't focus on you. Like they don't necessarily even care. You want to focus on them when you're there, you know, on the phone, what's their motivation? What do they want for the property? And when can you get an appointment? But once you're in front of them, everything shifts to them. What's the problem you're, you're going to solve for them? If it's been abandoned for 10 years, probably you're going you're gonna to help them not have this liability because they still own it. If somebody breaks in and kills themselves, like that's a liability. Um, they're, they're, I'm sure they're paying taxes on the property. Even if the property is paid off, they're paying taxes. You know, they have to deal with things. So uh, the city, you know, maybe grass getting too long or whatever. It's just an eyesore. So there's a lot of things that you're, you're solving for them by buying it, but you need to dig in and find out what really would motivate them to sell it. What is that? And, and try to solve that problem. You're a problem solver when you get in front of these people. So don't really think about the profits necessarily. Like you have to do your numbers, but you know, just tell them you're an investor. It's totally fine. It's what you are. Um, uh, you don't need a real estate attorney. You can close with, you know, I mean, theoretically you can write a contract on the back of a napkin. I don't suggest that, but point being, you don't need an attorney. They're just going to charge you money for nothing. You need a purchase agreement. You can find them online. Like you can take your purchase agreement to an attorney and say, I'm going to use this, but you don't need a real estate attorney. It's not necessary, um, but get a hold of them. Skip trace these people. And if you don't know what skip tracing means, it means just get the address. You can type into Google uh, skip tracing services, pick one, send them the address. They'll send you back the people's name, uh, some phone numbers that are associated with them, some email addresses that are associated and just start reaching out and try to get a hold of these folks and tell them you're interested in buying and go from there. But just focus on solving their problem. Focus on getting this headache, which is probably a headache for them out of their life and getting them to move on. And uh, that's probably the best approach. Okay. Next question uh, comes from Elliot. You're live here. What's going on, Elliot? Uh, can you talk about structuring deals and what's generally the best way to go about it? Whoa. That's a super duper open-ended question. Uh, since you're live, I'm going to ask you to be more specific. Structuring what kind of deals? A wholesale deal? Um, uh, you know, what kind of, I assume you're talking about wholesale, but I don't know. Like, can you give me a follow-up? Like structuring what kind of a deal? What are we talking about here? Cause it, it's a little bit too general. I don't, I don't really know. I don't know what you're asking. So I'm going to skip you. And then if you can clarify in the, in the chat and then I'll come back to it. Okay. Next question is from uh, Tommy Clifford. What's up, Tommy? Any tips on outsourcing driving for dollars? I do what I can whenever possible, but would love to get other people who are uh, out and about to send me distressed properties. Any ideas? Yeah, there's a, 
there's an app, a service called um, Deal Machine. Deal Machine, I know a lot of people use it. I used to use it. We don't do a lot of driving for dollars anymore in our business, but um, Deal Machine is excellent. I highly recommend it. Maybe um, the folks in the background here that help me out can uh, put that in the in the chat. I think it's just dealmachine.com. But it's a software where on your phone, you go, you find a house that's, you know, under, it looks like it's in distress. It's, it's long grass, boarded up windows, whatever. You take a picture of it and you can skip trace that property right from the app and send a postcard right from the app. So while you're sitting there, you can say, boom, take a picture of it. All right. Skip trace it. Do you want to send a postcard? And you pre, you know, you predetermine your postcard, but you hit yes. Postcard gets printed and sent out while you're sitting there. It's fantastic. And the great thing about it is um, it's been a while since I used it, but you can set up users on your account that you, so you can see who to give credit to. So if you have a bunch of friends and family and you want to even start soliciting for like bird dogs, people to go out there and drive, they're called bird dogs. You can give them access, send them a link to you, to the app under your account. And they can take pictures and send postcards and, and do all this while they're out and about. And then if somebody calls you and you close a deal, you can go back and look and say, oh, that was John. He sent me that and I'm going to compensate him whatever I agreed to compensate him. So that's the best way I know of to outsource and ramp up and keep everything structured and 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 know who is doing what and who's out there taking pictures and getting deals for you is Deal Machine. I would recommend Deal Machine uh, highly. And I'm going to look here. I think, yeah, it's in the chat right now. Um, click on that. Uh, I think they're great. And I know people who use them all the time. So uh, I, I would recommend you go that route because you can just give out this link. People can like be in your account and I think you can have unlimited people at some level of service. You might have to upgrade your service, but you can have just tons of people out there constantly taking pictures of, of distressed properties and sending postcards and, and sending it right from there. And I, you can even set it up to where they take the picture and all the information comes to you. You can look at the picture and decide whether or not you want to send a postcard out to that. So like if you had 20 people out there and the postcards, at least a few years ago, it was like $1 per postcard, I think. And so if you have 20 people out there and some knucklehead goes crazy and starts taking a bunch of pictures of houses that are not in distress and, you know, you shouldn't be sending postcards because there's no reason they could really, you know, create a huge bill for you. So maybe in the beginning, you set someone up as like a light user or a limited user. They can take pictures, pictures get uploaded. You can skip trace it and decide whether or not it was a good one. Um, if you have somebody out there working for you or doing this for you that you trust and you know that they are really know what they're talking about and they really do a great job, you can give them access where they can just take the pictures, they can send the postcard and you never have to touch it. Leads come in, you get a deal. You can see that, you know, Timmy took that picture and, and got the deal and then you compensate him appropriately, whatever you agreed. So that's that's what I would recommend. Um, that's what I would recommend to you as far as like, bird dogs and driving for dollars and scaling that up. <clears throat> okay. Let's go back here. Elliot, clarify. Let me see. Can you talk about how to structure a deal? What's generally the best way to go about it? Okay. He's talking about buying a property to rehab and then rent out for more. Um, I'm not able to borrow hundred percent of the money. So I need some assistance for that, but I'm not sure what returns to offer. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying or even how to pay myself. Okay. Perfect. So you're talking about structuring the deal. It sounds like with a partner or a funding partner or someone who's going to help you come up with money to buy the deal. 
So if you're talking about somebody who is like somebody you know personally that has a lot of money that you're going to approach to help bring the funds for a deal that you're going to utilize to uh, to buy and, and rehab and then rent out. What I typically would recommend in this case, by the way, is if you're going to use, so if you have a W-2 job, let's just backtrack a minute here. If you have a W-2 income, typically you can borrow from the bank. You can borrow the money to purchase up to 10 rental properties under your name or you and your wife's name or you and your husband or whatever. Like you can you can get 10 of them. And the reason why I'm telling you that is because the interest rates are going to be as low as anything you'll ever find. And you really should utilize that first. And if you're going to go that route, the bank won't lend you the money typically to do the rehab. So in that case, for the first 10 properties or so, what I would recommend is use a hard money lender to purchase the property and do the renovations. Now, a hard money lender, most of them will not lend you 100% of purchase and 100% of rehab. They'll usually loan you 80 or 90%. It's pretty fairly common, I think, to get 90% of purchase and 100% of rehab. And so that's what I would do to purchase it and renovate it. So you purchase property, you renovate it. Let's just say two or three months later, four months later, five months, whatever it takes you to do this. Then you go to the bank and you refi out of it. You get a loan for that property because... If you buy it right, then once you buy it and renovate it, it's worth more than the money you have into it. It should be, better be. And so you go to a bank and, and you do a refi cash out or a cash out refi. And a lot of times they're going to be around 70 or 80%. So you want to make sure that when you buy it and renovate it, the, the price that it's worth at that point, if they cash out you know, 80% of that, that gives you all your money back and you pay back the hard money lender. And then you go on and find the next one. That's the Burr method, basically. That's all I'm telling you is the Burr method. So that's what I would do. Now, if you're talking about, hey, I'm going to approach a friend or family member or somebody in my network who has a lot of money, and I'm just going to go straight to them. They're going to loan me the money to purchase and renovate. And then they're just going to keep the loan with, I'm going to keep the loan with them long-term if that's what you're going to do. Then I would say for a private money person, you really want to try to get that money. You know, if it's a straight up, you can do it a couple of ways, by the way, you can just get a straight up loan from them. You're going to probably want to try to be in the seven, 8% range, paying them seven or 8% of their money. Otherwise it gets to be a little bit tricky to, to make the numbers work in a lot of markets. So you want to try to get that seven to eight or lower if you can, but seven or 8% max on that loan and leave it in place. And that's totally fine. They'll lend you the money to buy it. They'll lend you money to rehab it. And you just pay them every month, but you have to make sure that the, the rents that you can charge exceed the cost of the loan per month, the cost of taxes and insurance, and maybe about 10%, you know, hold back for maintenance costs and things like that. If you add all those costs up, and what you have to pay them is low enough that the spread is there for you, whatever, 100, 200, 300, 500, whatever it is you're trying to get, that, that's the cash flow. That's your spread. That's how you get paid. Um, another way you can structure it, and I've done this in the past, is if you have a, a money partner, a money lender, you can say, hey, listen, I'm not going to pay your rate of return, but you loan me the money for the property. You loan me the money for the renovations. I'll get the property purchased. I'll get it renovated. I'll get it rented. 
And whatever's left at the end of the day, we'll split it 50-50. And, and I did this for a lot of my properties. I had a, a friend. And that way, if there's a vacancy or something, you're never losing money. You're only paying your investor partner 50% of the cash flow. If there's a maintenance issue, a furnace goes out and it costs you a couple thousand dollars, well, maybe for a couple months, there are no, there's no cash flow, right? So nobody gets anything. But it's a great structure to insulate yourself from having these mortgage payments to make if there's some sort of an issue or uh, extended vacancy or something, then you don't have to worry about making that payment, right? But with that structure, you know, the cash flow is going to be maybe a little less than what you could make if you found this. Like if you use hard money, renovated it, got a renter in there, and then did a cash out refi with the bank, your interest rate is going to be so low that your cash flow at the end of the month is going to be much higher with that scenario than if you come to me and you say, hey, Mike, I found this rental property. And why don't you put up all the money and we'll split all the cash flow? You're going to make less if you do that because you're giving me half the cash flow. You're not getting the benefit of the low interest rate. So there's a lot of ways you can do it. But I would say I would recommend to you is use hard money and then re cash out refi with a bank or a, a traditional lending institution. Get that low interest rate. Do as many of those as they'll let you do. Then move on to like a, a money partner or you know, using a private lender and paying them seven or 8% because you're going to make, you know, less, you know, all things being equal, you're going to make less doing that. But that's sort of the route that you're going to need to go. Once you get past those 10 properties that the bank will loan on, you're going to have to find a different option. And there's a lot of companies out there that will lend you money on a rental. It's just the interest rates usually are, well, not usually, they're never as good as what you can get just from a normal bank. So that's what I would suggest. And by the way, when you structure it, you're going to want to give them uh, if you have a, the bank is going to dictate the, the the paperwork, right? But if you work with somebody that you know personally, then you're going to want to make sure you give them at the very least a mortgage on that property and a promissory note that basically defines the agreement, right? What you're going to pay them and when and when they're going to get paid back and all that kind of stuff. So a mortgage um, document, a mortgage and a promissory note are the two documents that you definitely want to give that private lender um, to secure their money. So that's how you'd structure that. <clears throat> okay. Uh, let's see. Next question is, it says newbie here. I'm wondering how many investment properties did you have before finding a good CPA looking to get my first investment property soon? Do I need one right away? Um, yeah, I always suggest you get a CPA right away. Uh, especially if you're buying rentals, because there's some significant tax advantages to having rentals that you're going to want your CPA to take advantage of for you from day one. So uh, I definitely would recommend a CPA right off the bat. Now, I don't recommend finding a CPA, vetting them, having you know 100 conversations before you start looking for rental properties or investment properties. Like start looking for properties immediately. In your spare time, reach out to some CPAs and get that conversation going. Um, so I do recommend that that you get a CPA sooner than later, but don't let that be something that stops you from getting leads, making offers, getting things under contract. That's most important. Keep that activity going all the time. But yes, don't wait till you have one to get a CPA necessarily. But if you end up finding a rental property and 
and getting it renovated and getting it rented before you find a CPA, it's not the end of the world. It's fine to find a CPA then. But um, if you have, you know, if you have the ability to look for that CPA in your spare time, just do that. Make it a spare time activity. It's not critical. You do it right away, in my opinion. If you have one rental property and, you know, you end up doing, uh, you know, some sort of online do-it-yourself tax return thing, it's not going to kill you for year one. It's not a big deal. You want to get that CPA in place because they're going to be able to help you with some tax advantages and things like that. Okay, guys, uh, we are. I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it the night for tonight. Um, there's some questions that are still up here. I will get to those next week. I promise you, there's some great ones up here. So I will dig into those next week. Uh, but I'm going to let you go with this for now. Um, thanks for being here, though. I really appreciate it, guys who jumped on and and. Uh, started asking me questions and doing that live interaction. It's always fun, right? When I got to clarify a little bit with Elliot, what he was asking, like, that's all good. And I think it's going to help help people more when we can do that. So thanks for logging on. Uh, like I said, we're here every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Looking forward to, wait, to it. Can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Uh, but until then, get out there and start making offers and we'll have something to talk about next week. All right, we'll see you guys next time. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.